Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The sport is just going to die if they don't break the designated hitter to the National League. We got fresh frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas, and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. Yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> the Washington Nationals are the world champions. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny. And the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball. And if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. And now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Half Street High Heat. We appreciate you joining us as always. I am Amanda. You can follow me on Twitter at awhite7877. You can follow my importunate co-hosts, Nick and Ryan, at DCNatShack and at HalfShackCap. You can follow our digital media coordinator at One Pursuit Takes and our blog contributor, Monty at M. Davis Taylor, and you can follow the show at Half Street High Heat. How you guys doing? How's your week? I'm pretty sure you combined two words. I heard importunate. That, mm-hmm. Was that right? That's the word. Importunate. So, impossibly unfortunate, like my fandom for the Caps currently. <laughs> oh. I didn't. I was working today and wasn't able to listen to the game, and I was all pissed about it. And then I got in the car and heard what happened, and I was like, "Thank God I didn't watch that game today. I've been so pissed." Can we Veronica and put that way? Oh man, that I was just, bad. My disappointment is boundless. I'm so sad. I was. I have been looking forward to hockey coming back so much, and now we're about to get. Three yeah, we're currently what one in five. Listless round robin games and one embarrassing sweep by Barry Trotz. Well, Corey Crawford put on the freaking show tonight. So if you got to watch that, at least that was fun because he's the Blackhawks goalie, right? Yeah, he stopped yeah. forty-nine of like fifty shots. It was unreal. <laughs> forty-nine. Yeah, and what's even worse is hope he played well tonight too. I doubt. Or today, and we still lost. Isn't it yeah, sad to nice. think that like this is the way it ends for Holtby in DC because you know he's not coming oh, it's back. Very sad. And it's very sad. It's just and not only like they're not in front of the fans and they're up in Toronto and they're not even in, in town and it's going to go out on this sour note and it just sucks. <laughs> Everything about what's happening with the Caps. He's going to go out with sucks. Reardon and the entire coaching staff. Reardon. Yes. Is well, crazy let us pray. Give <laughs> a roster like this and get back to the first round two years in a row and keep your job. Especially if you get swept this time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yikes. 
And you know what, though? I also think we're about to lose uh, Oshi. I hate to say it. I think they're going to expose him in the in the in the draft for the Kraken. I, I read Kraken that. going to take him. I read that article, and it was like five players the Caps might expose. And the first four, you're like, mm-hmm. it's like Orlov. Uh, I can't remember who else was on there. I was like, okay, F- number five Oshi. I was like, yo, what? Nah. Do they yeah, but the if contract? you think about the the cap hit that he's got, the contract, and the fact yep. that he's from Seattle, and yeah, you know, it's gonna game. happen. The, I, the, I feel like the the old band from the Stanley Cup is really after this season. It's all going to be over. Like they're going to have to I make some major changes. I, I love Oshie. If Oshie leaves, I will legitimately cry. He's one of my absolute favorites. I have actually a puck signed by him from his first hat trick as a Capital, and the day after that they gave all three of the pucks from the hat trick to the the fan, the radio station, and I called in and won one of his signed pucks from his hat Dang, that's awesome. one of my favorite pieces of memorabilia i have something special of his but i reveal it off the air um just for <laughs> anonymity to keep my source anonymity yeah just to keep my sources safe um that's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, but yeah uh, we don't i don't want to think about that right now i have one more season with timothy jimothy at least so timothy jimothy um timothy jimothy I, I would just like to enjoy that and not think about all my favorite Caps players leaving. Yeah, it's really gut-wrenching. I can't think about it right now either. And also, we're a baseball podcast, so we could maybe talk about that instead. Well, first... But first, let's uh, hear our weeks in review. No, 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 no. no. Not not Ryan's week in review. This is the the most important segment every week is my aquarium update. (laughs) Let's hear it. People are invested at this point. Okay, so on the last episode of Nick's Aquarium Update... I I couldn't even remember what, what what I where we left off, but I had a tank right, and it's a tall tank, so it's kind of like it wasn't a cylinder, but it's a rectangle, but it's upright, you know. So it's it's a taller uh-huh. tank. Little or come to find out that that is really not good for fish because fish need a certain amount of oxygen, and rather than it being like a fifteen gallon tall tank, it's essentially three five gallon tanks if that makes sense, because fish swim more side to side than up and down. So really, mm-hmm. I was cramming the fish. So naturally, that, that wasn't going to work because all the fish I wanted, and not all the dumb fish, the fish I wanted couldn't fit in that tank, so I just returned it. But then, you know, I was thinking, I was like, I, I've already invested so much time and, and effort into this, this fish tank, uh, you know, project. I didn't want it to end like that. So I was thinking, I was like, I can get another tank, but if I get a tank... I'm going to get the tank I want for the fish I want. So your boy went all out and got a 55-gallon tank, which actually ended up being cheaper than the tank in the stand that I had before. So I actually made money back. And now I have a 55-gallon tank. It's all set up nice and neat. And now I just have to let it cycle so that way the water levels and all that stuff are good for fish. And we roll in. But now I went from a 15-gallon tank to a 55-gallon tank in like two days and you're starting moment. over and i'm starting over well yeah so <laughs> and uh, I, I had time to kill this got nothing but time quite a saga this fish tank situation of yours i know i know it's been it's crazy like it's already august 16th and i feel like well if you're listening to this it's august 17th um but i feel like i just started this and it's been going on well over a month now so i'm all in 
well, there you go. at this point. So what are these fish that you want that are going to go in your new giant tank? Well, I wanted whale uh, shark. <laughs> they're oh, hyper shark. I, I wanted bala sharks, which you'll see in like PetSmart pet code. They they look really cool, but apparently they can grow up to fourteen inches, which that won't do. So then I decided to pivot to angelfish, which are like the bigger fish. Um, you know the uh, fish gill from Finding Nemo. Yeah, it, it's not that fish. Like, but it looks like that. That's what an angelfish looks like. You know that fish? It's not that one. <laughs> not that one. That's a cardinal <laughs> fish. But angelfish looks very similar, but it's a freshwater okay. fish. It's a saltwater fish. That's the difference. You are quite a fish expert. Uh, no, I'm not, because otherwise I wouldn't have bought a tank that didn't fit any fish known to man, and I would have gotten the proper tank the first time. Becoming an expert, then, we'll say. There you go. There you go. There you go. Always learning. Look, can we get a Finn update? So he's um he's getting up earlier and earlier. It's not <laughs> it's just not vibing very well with me. I'm falling asleep as we speak. I know, I was gonna say, is that why you're sleeping right now? <laughs> no, like he starts waking up at like five fifteen. And so like I'll bring him in my bed, and, like I'll pet him, try to calm him down just so he'll start to relax. And like he'll lay down for like thirty minutes. And he'll sprint towards my door because, like, I have him in my room at night just because, like, he's still a little tiny and a little too adventurous to be out by himself at night. Don't want him to crawl up a wall or something. So I just have him in here at night. Jump off the second-story balcony. Exactly. So <laughs> it's just, it's just easier until, like, other people are up. So he's in here. And then, like, every morning I'm like, it's 530. It's too early for me to feed you. I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm like, screw it. You're someone else's problem now. And I just open the door and put his dry food and wet, uh, his dry food and water like right in front of my door, close it, and go right back asleep like a good parent does. Yep. That's, oh, that's yeah. how I'm dealing with it now. Yeah. No, but I have a four-year-old who gets up to pee like three times every night, so I don't even know what sleep is anymore. Fine. <laughs> I can sleep when I'm dead. Yeah, Amanda, we're talking about kittens here. Okay, this yeah, is real. I was talking about parenthood. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> this is real parenthood. <laughs> no, he's he's really sweet. Um, he's currently napping right now. He'll nap from nine o'clock to midnight, and then like literally nine o'clock on the dot, whatever he is doing, he will stop, run, and jump on my bed. And like I like made like a little blanket of him because again, doesn't sleep in the bed I bought him. Loves my bed, so I like create like this little like blanket fort around him and he'll sleep in there and like midnight on the dot he wakes up and just starts running around bouncing off all the walls in my house i mean in my room i mean who doesn't have a good blanket for it uh, it looks really yep. comfortable he has a stuffed animal there too <laughs> yeah like if somebody was kind enough to make you a blanket fort that was it's commensurate like, with yeah, your size why? would you not enjoy curling yeah up in why it? would you not sleep in it <laughs> yeah it is true. Well, he sounds adorable. Hopefully someday he'll calm down and let you sleep again. <laughs> Never again. Never again. Well, um, let's see my week. I just worked a lot this week. I had a super boring week. I almost didn't I didn't get to watch nearly as much baseball as I would have liked because I worked late past seven a lot of nights. Yeah, you didn't miss much. Same thing with I know. I mean, and, and I guess I do have one question, which is, are the Orioles good, or do we just suck? Like, uh, what is going on? Why yes. can't we be yeah. the damn Orioles? <laughs> uh, okay, let us go. 
Yeah, it's very, very bad that we cannot beat the Orioles. And I keep thinking, like, at, at the beginning of the season, everybody was like, well, you know, the Nats have a real advantage because, you know, the NL East is really hard, but they get to play the Orioles and the Marlins a lot. And I'm like, yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah now the NL East sucks and the Orioles and Marlins are both good. <laughs> I know. It's such a crazy, it's like topsy-turvy world. But we're, I don't know. It's crazy. But it was a good week, just busy, hanging out with kids avoiding my garden as much as I can, although it, it looks at me accusingly when I don't go out and take care of it. But it's rained a lot, so I haven't word. had to water as much as normal. Normally it takes me like an hour to water the whole garden. So if I come home and I'm tired and I'm like, oh, I have to go outside and water the garden for an hour. But it has rained plenty, so I haven't had to do that. Yeah, I ended up having to mow my lawn at like, no joke, at 9.30 at night the other night because... Uh, I like coach after work, so I had practice or whatever. But also, it's been raining. But naturally, it rains. Grass grows, you know, an inch overnight. So my front yard uh-huh. was looking rough. And I just, I, uh, I think it was like Tuesday night, and it was supposed to rain like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I was like, I can't, I can't do it. So I had to mow my lawn at like nine thirty at night. Yeah, and the problem is if you don't do it when you when it's going to rain for three or four days, then the grass is so long that you. You know, yeah. like you can't even get through it, and your your mower it, sputters out. And you have to yeah, which it already was it. to begin with. And, you know, even when it's, like, not raining one day, the grass is still wet, like, down below because it's so thick and it doesn't dry out. It was just a mess. I hate being a home – well, I'm not even a homeowner. I just hate, hate owning a yard. <laughs> having, a, having a yard yeah. to take care of. Yeah. The one bright spot for me on garden things this week was my peppers. I have a bed, like a raised bed. It's like 8 feet by 4 feet that's filled. I have like 27 pepper plants in it. I mean, I have a raised bed, and, too. It's a king size. Get at me. <laughs> nice. I, I see what you did there. Anyway, yeah. it is absurd, the amount of peppers. Like, my husband went out today. The neighbor was like, hey, can I have a couple of peppers? Do you guys still have some? He picked, like, a box full of peppers, and it didn't even dent the supply. I have seven hatch pepper plants, and they make so many peppers, it's absurd, and they are absolutely fantastic. They make the best chili rellanos. And uh, also, I think I'm going to make some gumbo tomorrow, maybe. Gumbo sounds good. Gumbo, gumbo sounds does very sound good. good. So I might do that and make it nice and spicy so my kids don't eat it all and I actually get some. That might be mean, but I'm doing it. Great, great parenting. <laughs> they make not exactly what well, you have to learn. Exactly. And one of them, Addie, my, my four-year-old girl, she'll eat anything. She doesn't care. She'll eat it and go, this is too spicy, but she just keeps eating it anyway. So <laughs> Why is it spicy? <laughs> the other two, the two little ones, they, the other two little ones will not touch anything spicy. It has, like, pepper on it, and they're like, no, I can't. It's too spicy. But <laughs> Addie's been raised on spicy food, so she's so good. I'm going to have to break those ones in and get them eating spicy food because I'm like, we, we eat a lot of spicy stuff around here. They're going to have to learn. Yeah, I'm not, figure it out. I'm not like Indian spice level, but I enjoy some spicy food. Man, like at Christmas, stuff. around Christmas time, my whole family was in town, which like never happens. And we went to this unreal Southeast Asian restaurant at the wharf. Highly recommended as a Michelin star, right? I ordered something, oh. and at the last minute, my uncle goes, he'll take it Thai hot, and my God, did I die. That was the <laughs> spiciest thing I've ever had in my life. I think my sinuses for like three years were drained. Highly delicious, but like, just not, not for me. <laughs> yeah, Thai <laughs> hot is always me. a mistake. Woo! My mom's husband, um, it's so funny, he, he 
he's like, I think he's 82 now. I mean, he's old and he loves spicy food, but he just like can't handle it anymore. So he always tells the story about he went out to some Indian restaurant one time and said he wanted it like, he's like, no, I want it hot. And they're like, okay. He's like, no, hot like you guys eat it. And they're like, oh, no, sir. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> that's not for, that's not for people like you. Oh, God. <laughs> so he insisted that they, I know, so he insisted that they give it to him <laughs> the way they eat it. And he just, he ate it even though it was like absurd and he couldn't stand it. And he ate it anyway because he didn't want to like look stubborn. like a jackass for, or insisting. Yeah, he's very stubborn. And then was like sick for two days afterwards from apparently as hot go, going out as it was going in situation. Yeah, I, yeah best <laughs> yeah. way to do a cleanse right there. I know. Take care of business. Anyway. All right. So it sounds like we all had super exciting weeks. Our lives were so fascinating. You're welcome, Always. listeners, for yeah, that scintillating segment. <laughs> yeah. We ended it on a poop. We ended it at poop. That's where it Man, that's where it, I that's bet that money line was great. You and I were definitely like minus 200, and Amanda was like plus 2,000. <laughs> <laughs> that line cashed in big time. Yep. Yeah, you're welcome, everyone. All right, well, um, why don't we do Ryan's Week in Review? Yes, the Week in Review, which is indeed brought to you in part by your local neighborhood Chili's. We start with the Cardinals finally returning to play for the first time in over two weeks. It will be thought they would have all 30 teams playing for the first time since opening weekend. Then the Reds player tested positive, and the Reds' weekend series was canceled. Um, it is not known if their series beginning on Tuesday is going to be postponed. But the good news is, so far, is outside of the Cardinals, that one Reds player and the Marlins player, there haven't been any other positives. So that's something to take it, uh, I guess, in stride. Uh, Cardinals manager Mike Schilt said several players and coaches who tested positive had to make multiple trips to the emergency room during their time off. Um, Indians pitcher Mike Clevenger and Zach Plesek were the dicks of the week. This is a new segment. You're welcome. Um, both of them were suspended and then optioned to their alternate site. Both left the team hotel and went out while they're in Chicago. Um, reminder, fellow pitcher Carlos Carrasco had leukemia last year, and manager Terry Francona has been battling health issues all year. Uh, Clevenger apologized in a nice statement. He apologized to his team and teammates for being selfish. This came after multiple teammates, um, without their names, slammed both of these players for being selfish. Francisco Lindor did put his name on it. And then there's Please Zach. Kids, do not be Zach Please Zach when you mess up. Um, he released a strange two-minute-long rant blaming the media and said the media is awful and vile. He blamed the media for this happening because they reported exactly what happened. He wanted to tell the truth and let everyone know that the media was wrong, that he went out to a bar with eight friends in Chicago. It's important to note that the media said he went out with a group of people. So I don't know what he's going at. Either way, Zach, please, Zach, you're the very first dick of the week. Um, MLB just announced a new rule where players can apply to return after 10 days, even if they're continuing to test positive. This would need approval by the various members who approve when a player is going to return. The rule also states that players can come back after 14 days, even if they're still testing positive. Now, I don't know about that one. A's Ramon 
Lorano was suspended five games for getting in a fight with the Astros after being hit three times. Astros hitting coach instigated a fight and hid behind multiple people. He got a 20-game suspension. We are two weeks away from the MLB trade deadline, and sources say that there are only three teams as of right now who are considering selling. The rest of them want to buy. Shout out extended playoffs. Um, MLB continues to see record ratings and ad revenue as all teams are seeing increases in ratings in their local markets. To the East, in first place still, we have the 9 and 6 Marlins. All players who were sidelined by COVID have now returned to the Marlins, and they just lost the series to the Braves. So are they coming back to reality? We'll find out by next week. Um, in second place are the 13-10 and 10 Braves. The Braves' rotation issues continue, and the Cunha was just placed on the IL with left wrist discomfort. They have dropped four out of six. Third place are the 8-9 and nine Phillies. Aaron Nola continues his hot start to the season. Bryce Harper hit a walk-off home run against, I'm uh, sorry, walk-off single against the Mets, and they got swept by the Orioles, but then turned around and swept the Mets. In fourth place, we have the 8 and 11 Nationals, who had a very busy week, but we will cover that soon. Um, in fifth place, we have the 9 and 14 Mets, who just placed Jacob DeGrom on the IL, and they just got swept by the Phillies. Um, one of their players said getting swept by Philly should never, ever happen. Well, it just happened, so deal with it. This has been your Week in Review, and I cannot stress this enough. Save the post office. Buy stamps and text USPS to 50409. Follow the easy steps to send a letter to your local reps and save the post office. This has been your Week in Review. So that was a pretty crazy week. Great weeks. I know. It is so insane what's going on with, I, I'm just like the standings. How long ago did this season start? It seems like what, a month ago. I can't even keep that. Like, this, I don't think anybody had this one. I, I don't think anybody would have said on August 16th these would be the standings. The Marlins. <laughs> right, well, that's like yeah. what I said last week. Like, they were, what, 7-2, and 7-3 and three at the time? All they have to do for the rest of the season is go 500, which for the Marlins is a lot to ask. But if they can do that, they're going to get a wild card spot. It's just the way it falls, especially once we get into – early September and there's no time to make up these uh, canceled games due to COVID or whatever, postponed games, and they start becoming forfeits. Yeah. The Marlins are going to make the playoffs. Like it's bad time. We just accept it. Start partying in Miami. So, it's so <laughs> weird to even say that sentence. The Marlins are going to make the playoffs. No. There weird. you go. Really weird. Um, as it far is. as the, the big one, and I'm glad, I mean, it's hard to every time Ryan does the week in review, I'm like reminded. Oh, I was like, oh, hey, that happened this week. Um, <laughs> but the Zach Police Act thing was one thing I want to talk about. I mean, how? I don't understand how you can be like that oblivious or that ignorant, man. Like, how are you going to try to spin it on the media? Granted, well, I hate the media, the idea but like, literally. Yeah, who literally, I, lo I love the media. Um, the media is literally doing their job. If you think otherwise, you're a communist. Suck it, Amanda. Mm -hmm. Nick, you're always free to say what you want. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead, Nick. That's all I want. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I hate the media, I guess, 92% of the time. 
Um, That's oddly the, specific. I'm just well, you know, I'm a specific guy. Um, I always have numbers to back up my arguments. Um, but this is the 8% where I actually am on the media side. They were just doing their job. And it's not like they were bashing him, which they would have been completely fair to do because, you know, he was that selfish player that cost his team, you know, uh, a chance to win ball games because he's a good pitcher too. It's not just like, you know, the 26th man on the roster or anything like that. I mean, he's a valuable part of a good rotation for Cleveland. And like Ryan said, Cookie Carrasco is recovering from leukemia. And rather than opting out this season, he opted in to try to battle for, you know, a playoff spot and hopefully more with his teammates. And when he, you know, no one would have batted an eye if he had opted out due to his situation and just the situation in general with COVID. And Zach Plesak still does something like that. Going out yeah, to really a large incredible. Chicago, like, really? like With a group I mean, of eight people. I mean, like, it's insane. I, I can't believe anybody would be so much of an ass. It's just incredible to me. And I know there are people who run the gamut of their thoughts on COVID, and that's a whole other conversation. But even if you for yourself aren't concerned and you think it's overblown, you still have people around you who are trusting you not to expose them to something that could be deadly for them even if it wouldn't affect you. And it's just incredible. And take aside the, the, the people that you're putting in danger. Think about the, the baseball team that you've committed to. I mean, you've put them in a situation where they're going to miss games, where you aren't going to be able to, you know, to pitch for them because now you've got a quarantine. And, like, you've screwed over your team both, you know, professionally and personally. It's just so incredible. And then to be defiant about it afterwards, I just, yeah. like, you should be, you should be, have your tail between your legs apologizing to everybody. The funniest and part, it, though, about this video, um, it was, it was rather unhinged. Um, I watched the full, like, three minutes of it. He was driving on the no cell phone, belt. <laughs> not wearing a seatbelt, <laughs> and just, like, going in on this just completely incoherent rant that, like, didn't really make any sense. And, like, as he kept talking, everyone was like, this is literally what the media reported. Like, this is their job. And you're just an idiot. <laughs> like, you're a moron. Yeah. Like, you're, you're part of, like, the best rotation in baseball. And then you're like, screw it. Let's go. But now Mike Clevenger is happy because no one's talking about him being an idiot. Everyone's just talking about his dickwad of a teammate. Didn't Mike Clevenger at first, like when, because Police Act got reported first, and then Mike Clevenger like said something, and then it was reported that Mike Clevenger was with him? Yeah, he like tweeted about how, um, like, we need to follow the rules for this to be good. So then, like, oh, and then, Exposed had like a great oh time with him. <laughs> yeah, like, I hate Mike Clevenger for, I mean, we don't have to go too into this, but he's just not a good person. You know, no, nothing criminal, but just definitely not a good person. If you want to, you know, do a Google, Google search afterwards, uh, after the episode, feel free. Um, but at least he had the wherewithal to apologize afterwards and acknowledge that he was selfish in doing what he did. He didn't take the Zach Plesak route, <laughs> which <laughs> I, I just don't which understand. Which no one how, should. Right. How, how in your right mind can you say this is the response I want, I want to have? <laughs> But good on the Indians for even when they were, you know, allowed to come back, optioning them to the alternate site because, you know, screw those guys. Because screw those guys, yep. Couldn't agree more. Okay, so our next segment we're going to do is the Nats bat, which, which is our 
purportedly um, quick take on things, which is never quick because quick is not our superpower. Nope. Um, so the Nats went four and four on the week. They are now eight and eleven and fourth, fourth in the division. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, Ryan, I, you had a typo. You initially put fifth, and I believed you. <laughs> like I had. No, nah, they were they were fifth it. until the Mets lost. Oh, until the Mets lost. So, okay, so yeah. by the skin of their teeth. You know, yeah. they, they got some help, and the Mets helped them out. We are not they the were, worst. They were, we were fifth the until worst. about 20 minutes o'clock. ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh, even more. Okay. Um, so not great, Bob. Not great. No, not great. So lots of injuries to talk about this weekend. And Doolittle um, will be the first one we talk about to the 10-day IL. I don't know if he's really injured or if this is just a we can't keep this guy this is- in the bullpen right now. This is a very interesting one because if you remember last week when we were talking about this, Steve Martinez said this was not injury-related. Then three days later, he's on the DL for right knee weakness, um, which is rather interesting. But I think this is literally just like last year. It's just another phantom injury stint so he can figure out what the heck is going on. Um, They said he's not going to throw for a while down there. He's going to rehab. I honestly feel like he's just having more dead arm and they're just going to let him just take it easy, go through more workouts, try to get his leg strength. And maybe they're thinking, well, maybe his arm's weak and maybe his legs are a little weaker also because of the long layoff and try to get him back. But also, like, say he's down for a while and he comes up and he's good. What's the value of a pitcher if you have to do this every single year with him? We have to take him out of the bullpen, put him on the IL so he can, like, have basically like a week, not week, like two weeks off to get back to his normal thing. Like that's what yeah. makes it so interesting about Doolittle. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, he's also, you know, I don't just know if there's time this year. I don't know if there's time for him to get yeah. right and come back up. I, I, I don't know. I'll, I won't be surprised if he gets down wherever they're going to take him and, to pra- and he doesn't come back. I'm, I'm actually thinking we may have seen the last of him for the year. I think so too. Honestly, probably as a net even. If you want to be real, because isn't shut this, your mouth. isn't this his contract year? I'm not even it's trying just, to be it's his contract year. Know, Everyone know, knows right. this is a pro Doolittle podcast. Like even if Ryan and I are still pro Doolittle throughout this whole thing, you know, through and through we're pro Doolittle. Just no mm-hmm. two ways around it. But if we're being really real, Ryan makes a great point. This happened last year, and he was able to you know get back well enough to play a part in the World Series run. I, I won't even say he was pivotal. Like, there was some bumps along the way, even down the stretch. Um, and But it was good enough, and that's all that mattered. And obviously, we all know how that story ended. However, you get to this year, and I know there wasn't a spring training, and he, you know, didn't go through the normal routine progression that he does in February, March, before the season starts and all that. And there's a bunch of circumstances, and he's not the only one to get off to rough starts like look at you know walker bueller tyler glass now i mean those are younger guys but plenty of people are getting off to rough starts and that's my point okay so this could be something along the lines of he just just chalk it up to covid or a shortened season or whatever however it's just bad timing contract year you're what 32 33 something like that and relievers as it stands are already so volatile like you just don't know what you're going to get from year to year. You just don't. It's impossible to rely no. on them. So why would you shell out 
any substantial money. Now, Doolittle could come back because, you know, great familiarity with the team. Everyone loves him. I'm sure the front office feels the same way we do and all the stuff. They want to see him succeed. So he could come back on a cheap deal, like similar to what Ryan Zimmerman did one year, two million. That's fine. But I don't, you know, if they let him go, that would hurt. But I don't think it's the worst decision in the world. No, and I, I actually think that if he were someone else and he weren't as well-liked and, you know, well-respected by the team and wasn't such a fan favorite, I think they may have let him go already. Oh, 100%. Yep. Yeah, Ryan yeah. and I had this conversation. Or did we have this conversation last week? I think we did. Yeah. If, yeah. You, if this I mean, was I really... almost anyone out, if this was Hudson, you're having that conversation of, do we just let him go? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, so that he can go one, like Trevor Rosenthal and become a hundred mile an hour fireballer right, again. <laughs> but this is the ERA. one guy in the the <laughs> rotation, or not the rotation, the bullpen that you know gets passed, and for good reason. Yeah, yeah, but I I don't know. I I hate to say it because he is such a fan favorite, and I know people get mad at me on Twitter because that's what people on Twitter do. But I think if we're being realistic. Doolittle is, uh, you know, if we if we see him again this year, I'll be surprised, and and uh, I, I don't know. I don't think he's coming back to the Nats. No, I don't think Which so, sucks. but, yeah, I guess we'll see. We shall indeed. Okay, let's talk Sam Freeman also to the 10-day. Yeah, Sam Freeman called the trainer out um, on Friday against Baltimore. He had an MRI that showed a flexor strain. He's on the 10-day IL. This is interesting because him and Doolittle were the Nationals' only two left-handed relievers. Um, this was something that I had down later for us to talk about, but I'll probably talk about now. The Nationals don't have any left-handed relievers in the bullpen right now. Um, Freeman and Doolittle were both their go-to. Doolittle had his issues. Freeman actually was having a really solid season. Um, five innings, zero ERA. I believe he stranded every runner he inherited. And I felt really bad for the guy because he's kind of been a journeyman and he was settling down and then he gets hurt. So that one sucks big time. Um, mm-hmm. So then the Nats called up Seth Romero. He made his own debut. We'll talk about that later. But Rizzo did say that they are looking outside for left-handed pitching because they don't really have any other options in the minors. Um, this is one of those injuries that hurts pretty big. So we'll have to wait and see what Rizzo's up to because according to him, he's talking to some people, see what's going on out there. Yeah. And I was kind of on the train of they're not going to do anything this season. Yeah. I'm just going to let it ride with what they have, but I don't think they have a choice at this point. You can't just not have any left-handed relievers. Like you, no, it's you not like you, it's not like you can uh, use uh, Corbin out of the bullpen like you did in the playoffs either. Like that weakness will be exposed uh, throughout the regular season yeah. if you don't do something about it. Indeed. So they're, and they're they don't talking. really have any time to screw around because their, no, no, their no. record is awful right now, and they're really on the verge of, like, if you don't get your crap together in the next week, like, pretty much you're going to be out for the season. So They're a game and a half out of the eighth playoff spot in the NL as we speak. Yeah, with the expanded playoffs, you still aren't in a playoff spot. That's not <laughs> great. Hey, top six pick, though, as we speak. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the next injury, which even bigger than the Doolittle injury is Strauss out again with this nerve issue in his hand. I dare say we've seen the last of him for the season as well. 
Yeah, so he got um, officially diagnosed with carpal tunnel in his hand. Um, it can be fixed in surgery, but I think surgery can go anywhere from two to two, two weeks to two months recovery. Um, he threw 12 pitches and clearly just was not comfortable the entire time. It's like we talked about before, way too much money in him. You got to be careful, and I just, just shut him down for the year. Like, it, it sucks. You can tell he's frustrated because it's been bothering all year long, but you got to shut him down for the year. Yeah, I think that's true. You just have to. You cannot, not with that giant new contract you just signed, you can't screw around. Like, you just have to shut him down. And maybe he can recover without needing surgery. Yeah, that's that also happens as well. Um, there's two paths, obviously. You either need surgery or you don't. Um, so it'll be interesting to monitor. I'm sure we'll find out more information in the next coming days. Yeah, bottom line, this is one that, I mean, we called a couple weeks ago, like, when the season started, pretty much, this one needed to happen. Like, just no two ways around it. And I appreciate, you know, Strauss trying to gut it out and try to, you know, back-to-back not suck. But, I mean, if you're not healthy, then chances are you are going to suck. So it, he needs to take all the time in the world to get it right, and the Nats need to allow him all in the t- all the time in the world to get it right because, you know, it's Steven Strasburg, but also you have a lot of money invested in him. So best to you know do the smart thing do what you did back in 2012 allow him to take time off recover and you know get that return on investment later down the line rather than trying to you know force it out of him right now yeah sucks but agree look at us all agreeing on something it's miraculous (laughs) all right now last one we have here is castro um, to the 10 day, but I broken. Wrist. He's he's done. It's gonna be more than 10 days. <laughs> he's he's not playing again this year. <laughs> no. Which which so, honestly, I mean, that's kind of crazy because we're probably like Doolittle, Strauss, and Castro gone for the season. Basically, yeah. I mean. I mean, Castro's having it was a really bad week, and Castro and Strauss happened on the same the day. The whole year, actually. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Castro's having a pretty decent year like his offensive numbers were really good his slugging wasn't up there and never is but he was just getting on which with this yeah. lineup was all you kind of asked for and he was doing really well so that one sucks um he does have a two-year contract though so that's good that he doesn't have to go into this free agent market off an injury so he will be here next year but bad week bad week indeed but a good week in some ways. We had some cool debuts this week. We got Seth Romero, Dan Bacchus, and Luis Garcia, which is the one I am most excited about. Let's talk about Seth Romero first. Best young players in the league, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Seth Romero has been the interesting person to watch. Um, over the last three years, he's only pitched 47 innings in the minors. He hasn't pitched above high A. Um, and Stephen A. voice. He can't stay off the weed. He's had some in, <laughs> had some issues with that. He also had Tommy John. Um, so him getting called up was pretty cool because he was supposed to be a top 10 pick. But then, again, couldn't stay off the weed, had a lot of issues with that coming off college. So he fell to the Nats um, and then got hurt. So he came. He pitched one and two-third innings. He did strike out four people. Was it um, four and one and two-thirds? Yeah, it was four and one and two thirds. So like that shows like he's got strikeout stuff. It's going to play. Um, he looked nervous as hell. 
and it kind of showed. <laughs> but it's pretty cool because he gave up a walk, an infield single, a walk, and a grand slam. So like, he kind of gave up everything. So it was a pretty <laughs> eventful debut for the guy, especially considering the fact he came in a high-leverage situation, never pitching above high A. Not bad. Didn't yeah. he also, in 2018, didn't he get sent home from camp too? Yeah, he had like some behavioral was, issues. Yeah, there was disciplinary issues there too. So, I mean, you never know what you're going to get with this kid. <laughs> um, but yeah, this and it's was, where he doesn't seem like the kind of guy the Nats like to have around. No, this was problems. 110% out of necessity, not because <laughs> yeah. he was, you know, worthy or ready or any of that. But there is some potential there, which is good to see because he was a first-round pick. And everyone knows Mike Rizzo's tendencies with, you know, tall uh, Island of Misfit toy pitchers, um, especially ones with injury history. Um, yeah, so they're his if, favorite kind. Yeah, if Seth Romero can develop into something, you know, th- that's a big win. Um, I'm not putting too much stock into this uh, for a lot of what Ryan said. He's young. He was definitely nervous. Um, yeah, the walks yeah. kill, obviously, and obviously you take away a walk or whatever bad pitch, then that grand slam never happens. The grand slam was, was bound to happen anyways. I'm pretty sure it was a 3-2 count, too. So, you know, he was just trying to throw a strike. What I don't know how old he is, 20, 21. Trying to throw a strike, and uh other guy got the better of him. So not putting too much stock into it, but it's nice to see, you know, some potential there. Nice. Yeah, I thought it was cool to see. I always like to see young players make their debut. It's one of my favorite things, like, just to see guys go through. So, you know, the minor leagues is such a slog. And it's nice to see people when they when they finally make it to the show. I remember one time hearing somebody describe their debut as, like, I just blacked out and tried to get through it. And that's all I could think of when I saw Seth Romero. I was like, Yeah, I can't it, remember who that was. I remember <laughs> seeing that, too. Yeah, it was, fu- yeah, it was funny, though. Anyway. So that was a good one. How about Bacchus? Um, really interesting story. He was drafted in 2012. He's been in the minors his entire career. Um, eight years. Yeah, he spent eight years in the minors. He's never made it up. Um, just kind of been like a minors journeyman. Had some pretty interesting numbers in the minors. And he's finally up, made his MLB debut at 29, which is pretty exciting. Another guy who got called up because of injuries. I feel like that happens quite a bit with the Nats because that's how Soto came up. Um, but he's looked pretty good. Three innings, um, no runs, three strikeouts, a point three three wet. It's been pretty good. You kind of tell he's just going to be the guy who, if the game's kind of out of reach and are losing by a little too much, they're just going to put him out there to hold over the bullpen. But look rather solid. Yeah, and you yeah. can always use guys like that in your bullpen. Not everybody's going to be a superstar, but you've got to have those solid guys who can eat innings for you in situations where you just need to give the rest of your bullpen the more important pieces a rest, and I think he could be that. Yeah, I, I know we'll talk about it when we talk about this next guy, but bottom line is you you have to see what you have with these young guys. If you need to call them up due to, you know, guys going down to injury or just guys being ineffective or whatever, or if you just want to see them, if they're up with the big league club, you need to play them. Just point blank and simple. Just put them in the lineup, put them in the rotation, put them in low leverage situations, high leverage situations, get them a shot to start, whatever it may be. They need playing time because you have to evaluate them one way or another. 
Same thing like they did with Giolito and Lopez uh, when they had him in, what, 2015, whatever year that was. They weren't ready for the majors, but you had to see what you had in them. And in that case, you had to let other teams, you know, evaluate them as well. Because as we saw with Giolito and Lopez, they were trade bait. Not that Bacchus or any of these other young guys are trade bait, but same thing, same rule applies. You have to see what you have in them. If you're not going to, you know, go all in on the season, try to trade for all the replacements for guys that have gone down to injury or been ineffective or whatever, then why not let the young guys play and see if they can't do something, show something, and then go from there. It gives you a better yeah. picture of what you have going into next year and what you need to do in the offseason. So there's really nothing <clears throat> to lose by playing your young guys. And it's also more fun to watch. This year, that too. Totally. But this year when they have no minor leagues to play in, like they're just, yeah, they're just wafting on the shelf over there, like they, they need to play and you need to see what you have. So there's no reason to let your young guys sit, especially in a season that's pretty quickly spiraling out yeah. of control like you know and, and i can see the argument if you're actually trying to you know get into the playoffs and win another world series right. and i know the nats haven't given up on that yet but you do have some of your your everyday pieces who are not playing well so what do you have to lose by and also with the nats i mean i don't know i'm sure you guys feel the same way there's really not a sense of urgency with them at least not one that i see or feel or anything like that um, it just feels like they're kind of going through the motions and seeing yeah. how <laughs> this first month plays out. And, hey, if you're in first or second place come August 31st, then let's go for it. But if we're, you know, 14-14 come the trade deadline, then eh, we'll, we'll just roll with what we yeah. got. There's just no sense There's of urgency. very resting on your laurels vibe happening. Right. So it's just like just let the young guys play and show something, whether it's good or bad. Just if you're not going to like fully care, then the young guys, they definitely care. I'm not saying the older guys don't, but the young guys definitely will. So let them go out there and, you know, yeah, let them prove have something their to shot. Prove. Right. They've, yeah, they've got something to prove. So let's talk about uh, Luis Garcia. So this future one is, future is now old man. This one was really interesting. So like, I didn't really know anything about him, so I started reading his scouting report, and nothing really jumped off the table on the scouting report. I think he got like a 55 grade out of 80. Um, they talked about how his hitting and his speed is the key. They talked about how he has a lot of movement, and his timing gets off very easily. He needs to work on his timing. Um, but they did say if he can get his hitting down, he has the chance to blossom into a star. They did also say he's a little ways away from being ready. So I thought that was interesting. But again, he had to be called up because of injury. Um, wasn't a top 100 prospect. Doesn't really matter. I don't care about that. And I looked at his minors numbers. and like, they weren't anything that jumped off the page at you. They're kind of just like decent. Like they weren't great, but they also weren't bad. Like they were decent. But he's only played two games, so it's hard to go off of. But I'm rather excited he's up. Again, I think he needs to play every single day because he's potentially your starter going into the 2022 season because I don't think he's ready this year at all. Um, and he's put some pretty good contact on the ball in the two games he played. So you can, again, see the potential there for his speed and his hitting, um, but just let the man play every single day. 
let him develop and just see what you got there and see how far off he is from being your guy at second. Yeah, I was rather disappointed. I was ecstatic when I saw the lineup for today, today being Sunday, because one, Soto was hitting second, and we'll get to that here in a, in a, in a little bit, um, which was something we called for last week and I believe even the week before. But then I scroll down to the lineup, and I don't see Garcia. And to Ryan's point, you know, he had a, a strikeout yesterday being Saturday, and <clears throat> I, I don't recall if he struck out on friday his debut but point being like ryan said he was putting good contact on the ball i mean he was two for five on on friday you know a couple great hits not doing trying to do too much you know just putting the bat in the ball letting things happen so why wouldn't you you know play him today but rather than playing him today you give defoe the start which makes no sense in the world because if there's someone you know what you're gonna get it is Defoe, and that <laughs> something is nothing. You're not going to get anything. And I have numbers to back it up for those of you who want to say, oh, Defoe needs regular at-bats. No. Bottom of the lineup today, our fan favorite, Michael A. Taylor and Wilmer Defoe, eight, nine hitters, combined 0 for 10 with six <laughs> strikeouts, four of them coming from Michael A. Taylor. He went 0 for 5 with four strikeouts. And you're telling me he needs regular at-bats? No. This is who they are. They're, you know, utility guys, they're defensive substitutions. They are not deserving of getting starts over quality prospects like Garcia or anybody else. Just let the young guys play and let them see what what happens. Because clearly when you put them in some you put them in the lineup, good things happen. We've seen that. We saw it with Soto. We're starting to see that with Keyboom. Like now he's kind of getting into a groove. Not that he's gonna be Soto level, but not many prospects are. So let them get into a group and do something about it. It's just so annoying that these young guys and just players in general can't get into a group because every third day they're being replaced by someone wildly inferior to them. I mean, that's a great point. Like, the Nats still don't know what they have in Carter Kibo. You like to think, like, everything they think about them is still the same. He's going to be your franchise third baseman. But it's hard to figure that out when he's platooned with Eric Thames, basically. Like, yep. let, let the man play every single day. Figure out what you have. There's going to be growing pains there. He's supposed to be this great hitter, average on defense. Let him develop and let him keep playing. He gets absolutely nothing from sitting the bench and actually hurts him. Like, not getting in that rhythm and getting used to MLB pitching, you don't really know what you have. Just figure out what you have and play them. Like, there's no harm in it. Just let them play every day. Let me preface this by saying I don't wish injury upon anyone at all, even, you know, people like Alex Bregman, who I despise. I won't wish injury upon them. However, we've been in a situation before, and Ryan alluded to it earlier, or Amanda, you might have alluded to it earlier, where injury has provided the Nats with some of the biggest blessings we never saw coming, i.e. Juan Soto. Victor Robles was the next guy in line. He breaks his wrist, and now insert 19-year-old Juan Soto, and he never leaves, and he wins a World Series for us last year. Um, I'm, and again, I'm not comparing Keyboom or Garcia to Juan Soto. That's an unfair expectation or just, you know, comparison. But... Starlin Castro going down could be one of the b- blessings of this season. 
And not because he's going down, but just because it provides more opportunity for people like Carter Keboom and now Luis Garcia. Because before, Keboom was essentially the third or fourth guy guy in line between behind uh, fifth, even if you want to count Howie. Howie tames Castro Cabrera. Then it was Keboom. Well, now you take away Castro because he's probably out for the season. And you kind of take away Thames because he sucks against lefties and he's just not doing well. So Keyboom's up there and now Garcia has a chance to be up there. It makes no sense to make Wilmer Defoe of all people, you know, the, the second guy in that totem pole above Keyboom or Garcia. You have to just let them play. You have to. It makes no sense to do otherwise. Is Amanda still with us? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry, I had muted myself for a second. Oh. <laughs> um, quick question for you guys. Um, I just am wondering, do you feel like if they just basically packed it in and said, like, we're not going to even really try this season, we're just going to let all the young players we have play, see what we have, and just, you know, if we come in third or fourth or fifth in the division, whatever. And I, I almost feel like coming off, the, coming off the World Series and the glow of that, that I would kind of – it's weird to say, but I would kind of be okay with it, like where we are right now with the season. If they just I, said, whatever happens, happens. We're going to let our young guys play. Maybe we'll get into the playoffs and make a run, and maybe we won't. But we're just going to use this weird season to figure out what we've got. So I think the Nats need to retool anyways. Um, I'm not going to say rebuild because people lose their freaking minds when they hear that word. So I'm going to say they need to retool. Um, before the season started, I was talking to all my friends, and I told them, this is the perfect season for a team like the Nats to kind of just mail it in and put all the young guys in, you know, wait a little bit so they don't get the full year, figure out what you have in the minors, figure out what your future's like. If you suck, oh well, you get a great draft pick and what's going to be a really good draft because the last draft was only five rounds. And also, like, it's a weird year. It's a weird season. The odds of it finishing are... Let's be honest, they're not great. So you kind of just see what you have. And, like, especially for a team like the Nats, I would much rather watch a lineup full of all these prospects than a bunch of 37-year-olds out there. Does not include Howie Kendrick. Love Howie Kendrick. I will never slander him. But, like, you guys know what I mean. Like, it's so much more exciting to watch young guys because you know, hey, this is your future. Instead of all these vets who, outside of Cabrera and Castro – haven't really been performing. Yeah. Like just and, like yeah. if you get a great draft pick, amazing. If you make the playoffs, also amazing. Your your young guys get playoff experience. Yeah, they need to do one or the other. Like they started the season kind of like Amanda you just proposed like not that they didn't care, but like I said before, there wasn't that huge sense of urgency. They not that any team knew what was going to happen with the season, but the Nats in particular like they just didn't have that sense of urgency. They didn't have that, you know. We need to go back to back, defend defend the medal, whatever, um, defend the title, all that stuff. They are kind of just going through the motions, and that's the worst thing to do. They need to either quote unquote mail it in and let the young guys play, or they need to go all in. They can't just you know linger for thirty days through the month of August and see where they're at. Like that doesn't do anyone any good you're hurting your exactly what they are doing yeah that, that's that's my point that's exactly what they are doing they need to pick a lane 
The yeah. thing with the learners is like the learners are all about milking money. And that's different this year without fans in it because their whole thing is we're going to put a 90 team, a 91 team together on paper. And they literally said that about this team. And we all knew looking at this team on paper, this was not a 91 team on paper. So I feel like the learners don't want to let them just play all the young guys. They want them to go play Saints, play um, Cabrera every day, those guys, so they have the better shot of getting the ratings and everything else because to them, playing those guys, that's their A team. So I feel like with the learners, they want to play the A team to keep giving that look of, hey, look, like we have a 91 team. like We're going to go back to back, even though they may not truly believe that. Yeah. Yep. Okay. We're um, not going very quickly through these, but let's get, <laughs> let's get to the next one. Um, this is great. Ryan, you did this, I assume. Trey is alive. Soto is great is our next note here on our show doc. Yeah. So <laughs> Trey you, had a great week. You know me. I love stats. Um, so I got Trey's slash line for the last seven games. Um, Trey had unprotected sex, by the way. Just want to put that out there. And ever since then, <laughs> he's been amazing. Uh, congrats Dad on the baby. Power. Yes, it's the dab power. So this week he slashed 444, 500, 815. He had 12 hits, three home runs, six RBIs, three walks, five strikeouts, and nine runs. That is a fantastic week. As we said, as Trey goes, the lineup goes. Unfortunately, no one's hitting outside of Juan Soto. And speaking of Juan Soto, this season he is hitting 405, 463, 973, Four strikeouts, three walks, six home runs, 14 RBIs, 10 runs, and he's already accrued a .8 war, which is stupid. Um, is that, my man's can hit. My man's yeah. can freaking hit. <laughs> so he's played, what, 12 games? So uh, yeah. what, .8 war over the course of a season is about a 10-war season, which is really damn yeah, he's, good. <laughs> he's on pace for like 130 home runs over a full season, and it sucks because he hasn't played enough games to qualify for any of the offensive leaders because if he would, he would lead in like all those stats. Yeah. He will, though. I think that's coming. He'll, biggest, he'll get there. He's a couple weeks away. Biggest so thing, catch up. Biggest thing. And, Ryan, I know you have I, – I saw your tweets earlier, so I'll let you I'll, – I'll tee this up for you, and you can drive us home. Um, Juan Soto needs to bat second. 100%. The, the days of the three, four hitters – oh, you include the fifth hitter in there, heart of the lineup – those still exist, but there's not as much emphasis on them. And Ryan has the, the stats and the, the research, analytics, all that stuff to back it up. But the two-hole hitter is so important and so overlooked. I mean, we, we've said it on the show before, Aaron Judge, uh, Chris Bryant, um, Bryce Harper, all these big-name hitters you would think are going to hit you know, three, four, five in their lineup – are hitting second. Some of them are even leading off because of how important that top of the lineup is, especially prior to this week when Juan Soto is the only one in the lineup hitting. In theory, you want him up to bat as much as possible. Now that Trey's hitting, granted Trey was a prototypical leadoff hitter to begin with, you can lead him off, but batting Soto second is such a blessing in disguise. Not even in disguise, just a blessing to this lineup. And today was a great start, but now you just need to leave him there. Don't touch it. Don't mess with it. Leave Juan Soto batting second. Yeah, I don't. I don't make, have make Juan the, Soto the two hitter again. <laughs> I mean, he has to. Like, I don't have the Fangraphs page ahead of me, 
but they broke it down to how many runs the two hitter creates, um, how many more at bats they get. It's like per game, they average 0.5 more at bats than the three hitter. And over the course of the season, that adds up pretty well. Like that's 50 at bats or so. And like the analytics have really pushed to this drive of having your best hitters bat one through three. The olden age was three, four, and five. We're now seeing this shift into one through three because you want your best hitters up as often as possible. And you don't have like these true, oh, the power guy is going to hit four. No, like you want your best guy to hit second. And Juan Solo is the best guy on this team. Like you want him up as many times as possible. And him batting second, it benefits Trey and it benefits everyone else behind him. And also Robles at nine, it benefits him as well. So like the analytics are all pointing towards the fact that Juan Soto should be batting second. And you can look at the league and see what everyone else is doing. But the main point of this is Adam Eaton cannot hit second anymore. It is yeah, not, it is not a coincidence that this lineup has rolled the two games that he hasn't played. It's not a coincidence 21. at all. And I think it's more than I, 21 runs. Yeah, like if I had the page up, I would go more into the analytics, but I don't. So we'll move on, because I know not everyone's analytics people, but I am. <laughs> okay, um, next topic, rotation issues. Speaking of stats, I'll, I'll just chime <laughs> on in here. Um, yeah, so no one's really talking about this. We've talked about at length the issues that the offense is having, but the rotation hasn't been very good. Um, this is supposed to be the strength of the team. This team is built around the rotation, and the like. It's pretty obvious they have seven hundred million dollars in the, no, not that mass off. They have a lot of money in the three people, um, and even with Sanchez, like that's the strength of this team that carries people. But as we've seen, Sanchez's ERA is just below ten for three starts. Matt um, Strauss's ERA was ten. He's only pitched like twelve innings, or sorry, six innings. Don't really count that. Corbin's ERA is four. Max's ERA is just under four. All these guys are struggling, and that's your strength. Like their combined win loss is four and nine. They pitched ninety six innings. They've given up forty nine runs, and they have a combined four six ERA. That is including Voth and Fetty, who are the best two pitchers this year. But that four six ERA is half a run higher than league average. And this is a team that's literally won the World Series because of its rotation. It's the strength, and no one's really paying attention to the fact that they're not very good right now. No, and the fact that Strauss is going to likely not going to come back this season, I mean, that's a massive hole in the, uh, in the rotation. And the fact that Voss and Fetty are our two best pitchers right now um, kind of tells you everything you need to know. They've been really good, and that's great, but if those two guys are your best, then this season is not what we were planning for it to be. And it even goes back to the conversation we were just having about just letting your young players play because the season is not going the way you planned. Just, you know, let go of what you planned and let's have some fun. You know, like you said, it's so fun to watch the young guys play. It's, it's exciting and you, you don't know what you're going to get. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's heartbreaking. Sometimes it's something super exciting. But either way, it's important for the team for the future and it's a lot of fun for the fans in a season that otherwise isn't a lot of fun right now. Yeah, the biggest thing, and I should have mentioned this when we talked about Strauss, but the the thing I'll miss the most is when Strauss is on the IL, he won't be able to be ejected from the stands anymore. 
And I, I need that in my so life. Amazing. I, I need that. I need Strauss getting he's angry and speaking up. Yeah, he's inspired Annabelle Sanchez, Kevin Long. I love it. I'm here for it. Steven Strasberg, Trailblazer. Yeah, so I wasn't watching the game today because I was working. So tell me about Sanchez getting tossed. Like, what um, happened there? So this is a family podcast, so I can't really repeat what he said. But he, he, he was chirping. Uh-huh. Um, so was Kevin Long. And Kevin Long had some really nice pauses between his, his curse words, which was really funny. But he was kind of just doing the same <laughs> thing like Strauss was doing. He basically told... <laughs> Every, you know, he, he threw an F word in there. He told the ump he basically, you know, sucked with another word in there. And it was really mm. funny. And so when the ump threw him out, Davey was like, I didn't do anything. And then realized it was Sanchez. So that's twice now Davey has been like, I didn't do anything. Why am I getting ejected this week uh-huh. when it's been a player who has to take the walk of shame into the concourse? <laughs> that's amazing. No, that when, when uh, Strauss did it, it was just legendary. And, you know... Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, so obviously everybody else loved it, too. I am All definitely right. always happy to see the guys getting thrown out of the stands. Watching them walk up the, from the dugout out is great, but watching them walk up the stairs like all of us schlubs have to do when we leave the stands is amazing. <laughs> the Strasburg uh, tip of the cap. <laughs> that, that, that was, was so amazing. <laughs> that was oh, cake. my God. Um, Ryan, you're that... Um, point you just made just made me think of something you had said earlier do you want to use this opportunity this platform to give your take on what Davey's doing yes so I'm 100% convinced that the learners are going to use the COVID losses to let Mike Rizzo and Dave Martinez go um I can very much see them going for like a cheap analytical guy for GM and I feel like Davey's kind of on to that. And what I've noticed with him is he's kind of going out of his way to appease players. And I feel like he's kind of trying to, like, rebrand himself as this player's manager, be loved in the clubhouse and everything, so that can be his brand. And at the end of the season, he can be like, every single guy in this clubhouse loves me. They're so happy playing for me. Like, firing me will lose the clubhouse. And, like, he's trying to get the – players families to come on into the games he's playing some of the older guys who are going to have like a contract their contracts up so they can get a better look in free agency he's just doing all those things that like he wasn't doing in the first two years of his contract so i feel like he's trying to rebrand himself as a player's manager so he can secure the bag Hmm. or maybe even for whomever his next employer will be if the nets let him go yeah Right. Yeah, that, that's a great point, too, because the point I was just about to make is it is curious you haven't heard anything regarding either of the contracts. Rizzo's makes a little bit more sense because he's his tenure, um, his track record. He is one of the best DMs in baseball. He makes things happen um, at times in spite of all odds, those odds being the learners. But he makes things happen. Now he's has a World Series to boot. He found what seems like a good manager finally rather than or as opposed to, you know, another failed manager after all these years would have been like five in a row or something like that. But um, it makes sense that you haven't heard anything about Davey because you haven't heard anything about Rizzo, if that makes sense, because they're so tied together and Davey's not going to get a new contract unless Rizzo gets a new contract. Um, Not that they can't you know, hire a new GM and then go get Davey, but they are tied together. They only gave Davey a three-year deal 
because it coincided with Rizzo's contract expiring. And now they're in this terrible place where they could lose out on both, but or it the, the Nats, the learners, might not see it as a loss. They might see this as an opportunity because of COVID to not pay them the money that they're owed or that they deserve and go cheaper, which would be a terrible mistake. I'm still not completely but sold very on, on brand. Very on brand. Um, I'm still not completely sold on Davey, but we saw enough, especially in the playoffs, that I know he is capable of being a good manager, and I will take that. I, especially after some of the managers that I had to sit and watch through over the years, I will take the ability to be a good yeah, manager. Yeah, I mean, he has flaws, but, like, everyone does. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Yeah. I just but, want the managers here for an extended period of time. And also, if it's Davey, amazing. I also, I need Davey to come back and – well, I was going to say in one capacity or another, but really that capacity is manager. I need David to come back no matter what because I cannot sit through another offseason of people begging Jason Worth or Ryan Zimmerman to be the manager. <laughs> I can't do it. Oh, oh my God. Are you ready for oh the Dozier God. people to come back again? Because oh, the they met no. Dozier Same earlier crowd. today. Same crowd. And I, we just lost our second basement, so I'm just I telling can't. you it's coming. I just had a terrible thought. What is the Nats? <laughs> let Davey go and they make Ryan man uh, Ryan Zimmerman the manager. They're like, not gonna no, do it's, that. hold on. It's They're gonna be inspired by the Cubs. It's in we... yes, it's in his contract that when he retires he's going to join the team in some type of capacity. My God. Oh my God. I figured it out. I just solved it. I cracked the entire code. And Doolittle will be his bench coach. Doolittle <laughs> will be his bench coach. No, he'll be the he'll be out in the bullpen. It'll be worse if the bench coach. Oh God! These are the things nightmares are made. Michael Taylor okay. can be the outfield coach. Stop. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> painful. Okay. Um, speaking of painful, let's go to our next segment, which we're going to do um, most overrated players yeah, in Major so League Baseball. I had a typo. It's most overhyped players. Um, these are players who are good, but they do not deserve the hype that they get from whether it's the media, their fan base, or anyone else. So good players who do not deserve the hype that they get. So we're just going to do three players. You can just say all three of them at once if you want. It's completely up to you. Um, so Nick, get us started. Oh, I, I actually have all three, and I wanted to go first and none of them get taken. So I will gladly go first. Thank you, Mike. I have all three as well. Um, so I'm going to kind of go in order, like, on if you were to rank these players, I'm going worst to first. Not that any of these players are necessarily bad. But start off with, I guess, the coolest take, not the hottest take. Um, Gary Sanchez. Uh, Gary hey, Sanchez is a good player. He is a good catcher, especially by catching standards. It is very difficult, as Nats fans know, to find a good quality catcher. And Gary Sanchez is way overhyped. And a lot of that has to do with Yankees fans in general. They think every young player is the, the second coming and all this stuff. And Gary Sanchez is no, no stranger to that. But he is a, just a good player. And everyone ragged on him last year because he, well, this wasn't at the all-star break, but throughout the whole season, his batting average is 186. Very bad. But he made the all-star team. 
He can't and, catch a fastball. Yeah, that too. But he still put up a three point one WAR uh, over the, the course of the season, which I mean, not mind blowing, but it's still very respectable. And so, point being, he's a good player, but he's not a great player, and he doesn't deserve all this hype. Second, I like it. Second, still not all that hot, but some one thing that needs to be acknowledged: Madison Bumgarner. Okay. Madison Bumgarner, again, a good player over his career, uh, typically settles in for that, you know, low to mid three ERA. You will take Mm -hmm. that out of a a guy in your rotation. Absolutely. But he has not had a sub sub three ERA since 2016. And that was his career. That was his career low, actually. And that was a 274. Still very good ERA, but we see guys all the time have an ERA even lower than that. It's not uncommon. So for that to be his career best from someone you think, like when you think Madison Bumgarner or when an average fan thinks Madison Bumgarner, you almost naturally compare him to like a Clayton Kershaw just because they've been around a long time, same division, World Series titles. Granted, Kershaw doesn't have them, but you naturally gravitate towards that status. But Bumgarner, aside from the World Series titles, is not in that tier at all. Like he is just And how is he only thirty picture. years old? Yeah, I feel like he's forty. Because it feels like he's been that was around my next forever. Point. Yep. That was yeah. my next point. It's not like he's in his age thirty five season, thirty six season like Max and he's declining. He is only thirty one years old. He just turned thirty one. So in theory, he should be in his prime. This should be one of his best years. And this year, I mean, you kind of throw it out the window as far as, you know, a track record just because of how the season started. But the track is there. His ERA is climbing every single year. And so 935 right now. Right. So he's he's a good player, especially as a lefty, but he's not great. And I think the D-backs, that contract he got, I believe is five years, 85 million. That's a solid contract. There's nothing wrong with that. But for the people that view him in that, you know, elite tier, he is is not in that. I don't think he has ever been in that personally, but you can't take away his postseason prowess. And that's what the Diamondbacks or any team was hoping to get out of him. All right. Final one. Okay. This is my hottest one of all. Um, But probably Ryan will agree with me. Cody Bellinger. Um, Cody Bellinger is not a top 10 player in baseball. He's probably not a top 20 player in baseball, if we're being honest either. But I I think, especially after the MVP award last year, which I don't even think he should have won, people are starting to say he is one of the best players in the game. Very, very good player. Not taking that away from him. Gold, gold glove caliber defense, you know, hits for power, all this stuff. Had a great year last year. I think it was like over 1,000 OPS. Great year. Can't take anything away from him. But he is not an elite player, or at least not tier one player, I should say. He arguably is elite. But, man, if you break down his stats last year, if you take away his – or not even take away because that's not fair. But if you make his – if you divide the season into four quarters – if you take his quarter three stats and make it his quarter one stats, I mean, he he might not even be an all-star. Like, the the dude is just so streaky, and I believe that he is essentially what 
are going to become what people think of Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper had, you know, a couple of great seasons, but otherwise has not lived up to the hype. I think Cody Bellinger is falling into that same category. Granted, this is only his third full year, fourth full year. So, you know, a little ways to go before we see how that plays out. But I think Cody Bellinger overhyped, but still very good. Yep. I couldn't agree more. So I'll do my next. And um, I actually came up with five because I knew you guys were going to take some of the ones that I had and then accuse me of only copying you. So I have extras. But Cody <laughs> Bellinger was on my list. And so was Madison Bumgarner. Um, looking at his stats, I just was struck by how really 2016 was his last good year. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you look, you know, that year was a 2.74. And if you throw this year out, which I think is fair to do, last year was a 3.9 and 2018 was a 3.26. And those are respectable numbers, but right. they're, they're not numbers that go along with the type of, of hype that Madison Bumgarner gets. Right. So um, another one I've got is Michael Brantley, who I think Astros fans just think is the bee's knees. And, I mean, he hits for a good average. You know, he always has a, a decent batting average, over 300 a lot. But if you look at his mm-hmm. other, the other numbers that go along with that, you know, if you're, looking at, if you're looking at the number of home runs and the number of runs scored and RBIs, he's just, he's just not producing as much as what you would expect for, to go with his batting averages, if that makes sense. So I feel like he's just overhyped. He's a good player, for sure, and he's a guy you know any team would like to have on their roster, but I, I feel like Astros fans act like he's a lot better than he actually is. And we've seen so in recent years, we've seen in recent years, especially with all these advanced analytics coming out, that batting average, while still a good stat, is overrated as a stat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of the way ERA is, is it's interesting for a pitcher, but it's not the best way to yeah. evaluate a pitcher. Agreed. And I think batting average is the same way that it's, it's interesting and it's definitely indicative, but it isn't all there is. And a lot of people, I think, especially more casual baseball fans, just look at batting average and decide whether batting average good or not. Yep. Yeah. So um, my next one is Reese Hoskins. I, I yeah. think he's obviously having a terrible year, but again, if you throw this year out, um, and just look at his numbers. I mean, he's played, what, 2017, 2018, 2019. Um, his, trying to get down here to where I've got all of his stuff written down. He just hasn't been what, I don't know, I feel like he gets so much hype in Philly. And Philly's fans do hype up their players a ton. I think the Yankees fans are worse. Yeah. Why? I do too. But Yankees fans are definitely the worst. But his his batting average is, 2017 was 259, 2018 was 246 and 2019 was 226. So I just don't get, and this year is 208. Right, but it's just, and I, you know, I get that he, he hits a lot of home runs or did, you know, in some, in some years he hit 18, 34, and 29. So 2018 was a great year for him home run wise, but still for a low average. And I just don't get the hype. So he's my third one. Yeah, he definitely burst onto the scene, but it hasn't, you know, manifested past that. Yeah, and Bellinger is an obvious one. And again, you, I didn't want to go with the obvious ones like Harper or Machado, and I don't even think it's a knock on them to say they're overhyped because the hype around them is ridiculous. And mm-hmm. they, I don't think Bryce is underrated because he gets all the unnecessary. He's overhyped talk. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. I I do think if you look at his, if you take 2015 out, his numbers don't live up to the amount of hype that he gets, and that's not a sour grapes thing. It's nothing to do with the fact that he left the Nats. I'm just saying if you took his name off of it and looked at the amount of hype a guy gets and the numbers that he's produced, they they aren't 
they aren't in line with each other. I mean, he had a 143 OPS plus last year. It's pretty good. With Bryce Harper, though, uh, I think a lot of that hype is because, I mean, just of how he came up, you know, skipping um, or like foregoing his senior year, going Juco, and then mm-hmm. SI cover, um, number one pick. But as number one picks go, he is arguably one of the best of all time. Yeah, for sure. And I, as I said, I'm not arguing that he isn't a, a very good player. Of course he is. I mean, anybody can see that. I'm just saying at the amount of hype that he gets, I don't think it's possible for anyone to live up to it. So I don't I do even think, if think you're he saying gets it anymore, though. I, I, he doesn't. I Everyone just says he's overrated. And it's gone to the point where, like I said, he's underrated because he gets all of it. And people just want to, like... Like, it doesn't really matter because he's not here, but, like, his numbers are great. And people, yeah, and uh, maybe underrated is accurate, but also overhyped. I, I don't well, no, I mean, it's just because everyone just looks at batting average, and batting average is the most useless stat, and it's an overrated stat. And so everyone just looks at that. But, like, yep. when you look at everything else, like, he had a 5-4 and hit 35 home runs last year, and, like I said, like a 140 plus. I, I would like to have yeah. I would like to have but, no, I mean, that's the that conversation, be- like, everyone will have. It's just people love the All right, hate let's hear your players. three, Brian. Um, well, I'll say them when I'm ready, Amanda. God. Okay, um, are you ready? I am. My three overhyped <laughs> players. Um, the first one is Tim Anderson. The only reason why people even know who he is is because he won the batting title. Um, and White Sox fans act like he is the, like, second and coming. Flips. Yeah. Like, he won the batting title, he bat flips, and White Sox fans think he is the greatest shortstop of all time. He's not a top 10 shortstop. He's a good player. He's not a top 10 shortstop. He's great for baseball. He embraces, like, actually knows how to market himself. He bat flips the hell out of everything. I respect it. If he didn't win the batting title, again, no one would really know who he was, and that's the reason why I have him as one of my most overhyped players. Not a top 10 shortstop. Second player, still staying in Chicago, it's Javi Baez. Javi Baez's best talent is making the average play look hard. That's all he does. He's <laughs> yeah, <flashy>. no look <laughs> tags. Yeah, like he'll that's, do like a no look tag. He'll like go really, really slow to a ball that's maybe three steps away and like dive unnecessary and throw the guy out. And everyone's like, oh my God, he's so good. The guy strikes out like half the time. He just makes average plays look good. And to the average fan, they're like, wow, this guy can do freaking everything. He's unreal, especially like Cubs fans. Good player, doesn't deserve the hype he gets. The other one, my third player is Austin Riley. Um, Braves fans act like Mm -hmm. he's the greatest hitter. Um, There are 220 qualified hitters. And based on OPS Plus, he ranks 204th. So he is the 16th worst hitter in baseball this year. I'm pretty sure Michael Taylor ranks 225th out of 220. <laughs> but because of that, he sucks. He cannot hit Austin Riley, a bust for the Braves. He's on my overhype list. Austin I Riley, like definitely in that category with Reese Hoskins, just came on the scene, hit a bunch of home runs, and everyone thinks they're, you know, Yeah, and then people fall in love and they don't want to admit that, you know, a lot of players can make a big impact and then the league figures them out and they get scouting reports and then they can't hit anymore. Yep. All right, let's do our Twitter questions. We got some good ones. This good ones this week. We got from at Victor Robles. I didn't know he listened to the podcast. Which moves would you make this offseason to improve the offense? (laughs) 
So you need a catcher, a first baseman, and a right fielder. You need one of them to be a power bat to plug behind Juan Soto. The dream is JT Real Muto. I do not see the Nats paying $20 million for JT Real Muto a year, even though he's by far and away the best catcher in the league. So I don't see them getting him. Um, if JD Martinez opts out, you make a very, very aggressive play for him. If you don't mm-hmm. get him, you sign George Springer and you put him in right field. Get Adam Eaton out of here at first base. It's weak. You either sign a guy like Yoli Gurriel, who is older, but he's consistent. Um, he's going to give you 270. He's going to have like around the 900 OPS. Great five hitter. Or if you want to be even cheaper, just like have Zim platoon with someone else. Um, at catcher, again, would freaking love JT Muto, but I can see them getting like a guy like Alex Avila to platoon with uh, Jan Gomes because he has another year left on this deal. Yeah, the free yeah. agent class isn't great. Um, it's certainly top-heavy, uh, led by JTL Real Muto and George Springer, which I think there's going to be other teams. Ooh, excuse me, had a hiccup. Uh, there's going to be other teams vying for their services more than the Nats will. Um, I feel like when the Nats want somebody, it's kind, it kind of just like happens. It's not because they actually go out and get them. Like, I feel like, and this isn't the most, you know, analytical take, but I feel like Max Scherzer just kind of happened. And granted, seven years, $210 million hey, he had no other he had no other offers at the time. It was right. That, that's kind of what I, uh, I'm alluding to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steven Strasburg wasn't really ever going to go anywhere else. Yeah, he sat down with Yankees and whatnot, but that was just free dinners. That wasn't anything substantial. <laughs> free dinners. Um, but we've seen the Nats lose out time and time again on guys that they want. Um, Kenley Jansen comes to mind. Roldis Chapman comes to mind. Um, I'm, and I'm sure there's more that, that I'm missing. But I just don't see them. Yeah, yeah I, I don't see them going after that top of the, the market talent, even though the top two, Real Muto and Springer, fill two big needs for this team. Um, I think they're they are just going to kind of like let it ride out, do the same thing they kind of did this year, fill the void with supplementary pieces, and see what happens. Um, and then go from there. Yeah. They're going to try to let more money come off the I could before they spend big. See them going for like James McCann or something. I think he's oh, for the of the White Sox. Like they signed Grandall, <laughs> right? So they don't need him anymore. That's the kind of guy I can see the Nats going for, not like a JT Real Muto. They're not going to spend the money. Which would be an improvement, because I looked at the numbers, and I pulled these numbers. I don't know if these were before or after today's game, but by my math, uh, Gomes and Suzuki have combined are hitting 224 with one home run out of the catcher spot right now. Not great, Bob. That's not great, (laughs) Bob. Not great. So that's a guy I can see them because I, I saw one of the Twitter questions, which we haven't gotten to yet, but we're going to, or like, who do you think are might be realistic trade pro, trade pieces? And that's why I was thinking McCann might be one of those guys that they would go after. Also, Love it if they went after Real Muto, but it's not going to happen. Another point, the learners don't value position players the same way they do pitchers. They don't sign yeah. position players to big contracts. And that's the thing. Like This lineup desperately needs a right-handed power bat. Right-handed power bats are expensive. George Springer, JT Real Muto, and JD Martinez are all, I mean, even like Nicholas Castellanos, if he opts out, 
they're all going to get six figures. And as soon as they hit that, the Nats are out. Because I think Worth is the only position player free agent they've given six figures to. You mean nine figures? I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say yeah, six, six figures. Yeah, six figures is a million bucks. I'll bet they would pay that for any of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we know what you mean. Yeah, it's um, they're not likely to pay for the you know pay big money for somebody, and that's always such a frustration for me. It's that they they do have these huge contracts for the pitchers, which is awesome, and we you know we end up with a great rotation because of it. And I'm not complaining, but then you've got you know your your position players right now are like you know Esdrubal Cabrera and Starlin Castro and a bunch of guys who are serviceable. And if you fill in your roster with those guys, that's fine. But you have to have those big those big bats and I just feel like they won't go pay for them. And, one, you know, you let the one guy we had who was, I mean, we've got Soto, but that's because, you know, he's still under team control. He doesn't have enough, can't be a free agent yet. And then you let Rendon go. You let Bryce go. You let all the big bats go. And now we're left with this cobbled together offense that is not producing, predictably not producing much. Yeah. Uh, one guy that I... Wouldn't mind, but I just don't know because of Castro. Castro is still in a contract. Would be DJ, Le- DJ LeMahieu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting one because he does have positional flexibility, but also he is a gold glove caliber second baseman too. Um, but I, I just don't know. Also, he, he's a right-handed bat that's great at making contact, similar to what Daniel Murphy was for you for those few years. Granted, he's not going to hit as many home runs as Murphy or bat fourth, but he can be a good top of the lineup, top half of the lineup bat, get on base, play good defense. I mean, that would be something I'd be down for, but it doesn't necessarily fit a need. It would just be like a good addition. Yeah, I agree. How about Todd Frazier? No. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Let me rephrase that. Me, no, the Nats will probably sign him. Yeah, probably. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying, what do we do you want him? I'm saying he's somebody I could see the Nats going after. Oh, my God. I could see it. Well, you know, it, it'll be interesting. To see. I actually think these are all interesting, you know, thought exercises, but I, I, I think the most likely scenario is they don't do anything at the trade deadline. <laughs> I think they will completely yeah. by that point. Well, this I agree. Season, even if they are hovering around 500 and there's a chance they could make a run, I don't think they're going to do anything. They're just going to see what happens. And I'd be shocked if they give up anything to go get a guy at the trade deadline in this weird season where they're playing like crap anyway. I agree. But speaking of right-handed right. power bats. <laughs> One Pursuit Takes sends us a question. Thoughts about Yaziel Puig, and do you think he would be a good fit for our team? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. I mean, yes. we, need a, we need a right-handed power bat. That's what he profiles as. Yeah, he has a little bit of personality, but that's fine. He'll fit right we're on there. Yeah, we're not nothing we're not used to, especially now that you have Seth Romero on the roster. Um, but you also have the DH, so you don't have to play him in the outfield. You just get the benefits of his bat in the lineup. There's really no downside. You'll get him for cheap to sign him for the rest of the season, steal him from the Braves, bing, yeah. bang, boom. He's not a guy that is going to fit in here at all. But it, you know, what the hell? You do need you do need some more power in the lineup. So I wouldn't hate it if they did it. All right. What is our next one? At truck two one one two says at this moment, how are y'all feeling about Strasburg's contract? I feel perfectly fine about it. So at the time when they signed them, I hated the contract. 
I thought they were there's too many years. Um to get your guy you have a lot to, of years. You have to go those years, but I didn't like they're gonna give someone that much money until their age 38, 39 season, especially with his injury history. That made me nervous. We know the Tommy Johns are there. We also know the track record of how pitchers fare seven, eight years down the road after Tommy John. He's approaching that territory. So at the time, I did not I didn't like the contract. I, I tweeted that I hated it, and people were like, he's the World Series MVP, give him four hundred million dollars. I'm like, okay, cool, you can think that, but you have to look at it from the analytical side of it. I didn't like the contract. This injury, not really concerned about. I think this is just one of those weird things that happens with the long layoff they had. Not really concerned about it. Um, I think they'll get the first three or four years will probably be pretty great out of that contract. It's the back half that I was worried about, and I'm still worried about that back half of the contract. Yeah, it's that classic, you know, mid-2000s contract that we saw so many times. And with Jason Wirth, you pay you know, X amount of dollars over seven years, but really you're paying for that production in the first three to four years. And you're just yeah. accepting what you get in years five through seven. It it's what they did with Strauss. And I don't mind it because of what he means to the franchise. And obviously world series MVP, you know, homegrown first pick, all that good stuff. I love me some Strauss. So I don't mind it, but I'm not in love with it either. It, it's just like, it's an outdated way of doing business. Um, we've seen it change rapidly over the past few years. And this, like I just said, was, you know, an old fashioned style deal. Again, don't hate it. Don't love it. But I, yeah, like, like, Amanda, Amanda, you just said, I'm fine with it. It is what it is. I am fine with it because, and here's my thing. I think you're exactly right. It is a worth style deal where you're paying for the upfront years and knowing that you're going to have an albatross at the end. Mm -hmm. But, if you don't do that, Strasburg was going to, he would have gone someplace else where they would. So it's right. one of those like things Ryan where do you love it? No, of course you don't. But if you, you know, how much would we have crucified them if they had let him walk because we wouldn't give him those extra. Well, let me, hold, let me ask you this. If they let him walk, they sign, is that the situation where they sign Rendon or is that situation where they like both go? Well, let me ask you this. How often do they let somebody go in order to sign somebody else and then actually sign that person? Well, cool. let me respond to your question with another question. <laughs> <laughs> no, no like, they wouldn't have signed Rendon. If they let him go okay and sign, if they did, if they let him go and sign Rendon, yes, I would have. I love Strauss. Um, I have his jersey. He's one of my favorite players. I wish I wasn't there, but I wish he was when he debuted. His entire story is great. But at the same time, if they were like, "Yeah, we gave this contract to Anthony Rendon instead of Strauss," I would have been perfectly okay with it because when you looked at the structure of the team, they needed that bat. And they're going to need that bat for the future. Obviously, they did it. They kept their guy. They stayed loyal to him. And it's kind of like with Patrick Corbin. They gave Corbin the six years, so he'd sign here. you got to give the extra year to get your guy. And it was just one of those situations. They want to make him the highest-paid pitcher at the time, and they did. Like, it is what it is. Like, that's what you do for your guys. It was a good move by them. Um But, yeah, I mean, like, if you told me, hey, like, they didn't sign Strauss. They signed Radon, I wouldn't have been. Yep. Agreed. If maybe I don't know, I have to think that through more. But Rendo didn't want to be here and wasn't going to come back. Anyway. Well, exactly. So realistically, you didn't have <laughs> the option of let him go and sign Rendo. Yeah. Rendo. Yeah. Exactly. They can afford to I was just going to say the biggest point, and you know, going full circle here. You one, you have to acknowledge that 
what? So year five of the Strasburg contract would be what? 2025 ish. Those years are going to be rough. We're going to have a lot of payroll invested into these, you know, older guys. We're still going to be paying max. Um, it's, it's going to be rough. Just another reason we need to re- retool, not rebuild now. Yep. It is going to be rough at that point. But we will cross that bridge when we come to it. Yep. We'll still Next hopefully year. be bitching about it Next here year. on Half Street High Heat. Um, at one lovely lady C says, since there are, is essentially no difference between the AL and NL, when slash if you th- do you think they will realign the leagues? These are always those fun conversations when they intend to bring up expansion, like conference realignment and everything. But I don't think they would ever do that. It's like the NFL and like all the other sport leagues. They both have the same rules, but they just have two separate leagues, basically just for like geographical reasons. I don't think they would realign the leagues unless they add a couple new expansion teams that are in kind of weird spots than they would but yeah, then maybe yeah um, yeah like some of the things don't exactly make sense like the astros are in the al west um i'm sure there's more like oh the toronto's in the al east like there there's other teams that would make more sense to realign them but Unless something forces the issue, like Ryan just said, with an expansion teams, they're not going to realign leagues. And even if they do, uh, well, I guess if they do add two expansion teams, you would have to realign the divisions because you can't have, you know, three divisions of five and two divisions of six. Um, no, so, you'd have to you'd have to realign at that point. Yeah, so I, but I, I don't think that's like the rivalries and stuff. You know, like you get the, the divisions that they play each other all the time. There's so much fans are so invested in hating the other teams in their division and stuff. I just feel like you you mess up some of the mojo if you realign. So they they may do it and tweak it if there's an expansion, but I don't think they're going to do any like wholesale realignment. I did tweet my proposed uh, realignment. Uh, this was a few months ago. Maybe I'll have to bring that back. But I kept most of the rivalries intact, so there is a way to do it. I just don't know how they'll do it. If yeah, do I just it. don't know why they would unless there were some compelling reason. Right. And even like, adding expansion you, teams wouldn't require, like, major realignment. You would just go to conferences like uh, NBA or I guess NBA would be the biggest one to follow. You could just go to conferences, but yeah. we'll see. We shall. Okay, at uh, Nat. Jake says, with the trade deadline approaching in a couple of weeks, who should the Nats trade for and what's the package for them? For example, J.D. Martinez. So we kind of already did this one. Yeah. yeah they're going to stamp at. Yeah. They are, yeah. They're going to do nothing is what's going to happen. And our last Twitter question is at Bring Back Beagle, which is why is Adam Eaton still alive? I'm surprised Ryan hasn't killed him yet. Yeah, so there's in, a really – So Ryan might have done the yeah, deed, so. You don't, you don't know where he is. Um, <laughs> there's a really good saying out there. It's called keep your friends close and keep your enemies closer. Adam Eaton is my enemy. I will keep him close, and I keep him around this year for legal reasons and logistical reasons. Um, that will not be the case at the end of the season. I cannot legally say more. <laughs> it's not, what does he have, a $10.5 million option? Yeah, yeah my God. At the end of the year? that up. I mean, they probably will. Yeah, I don't but. think they're – I mean, they might, but I don't know. I mean, depending no. on how the rest of the season goes, but I, I can't I, see if he keeps on like he, he is, if they're going to pay him 10 and a half. He million. can't even hit fastballs right now. I can see them doing something like they did with Gomes, like decline the option but bring him back for two-year deal, essentially what you'd pay him for one year. So they can decline Eaton's option but bring him back on like a two-year $15 million deal. That's probably what's going to happen. Yeah, and t- I think – 
Thames and Suzuki are both free agents at the end of the yep. year, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of changes. A lot of changes coming. Mm. All right, well, that was our last question. You guys got anything else before we get out of here? Save the uh, post office. Save the post office. Happy birthday to my grandpa. He is 77 years young today. Uh, well, August 17th. Oh, happy birthday, hey, grandpa. It's my mom's birthday. Oh, happy birthday, mom. Yeah. She is not oh, 77 is... years young. <laughs> than that. This is so wholesome. Amanda, do you have any birthdays? Um, I do have one, but it was last month. <laughs> I, I, uh... <laughs> wow, look at three <laughs> August 17th birthdays. <laughs> so exciting. So exciting. Okay, well then, I think we are pretty much done. Um, for all of you listening, thank you so much. We always appreciate you joining us. Um, I thought this was going to be a quick episode because we didn't, didn't seem like much on the show doc, but as always, we talked a long time, so you guys get a nice big fat episode to listen to. Um, I am Amanda. You can follow me on Twitter at awhite7877. You can follow Nick and Ryan at dcnatchak and at halfshackcap, or the other way around. <laughs> and uh, you can follow OPT at One Pursuit Takes. You can follow Monty at M. Davis Taylor, and you can follow the show at Half Street High Heat. Y'all have a good night. Later. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator Who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later Let's go Nats We've got a game to play We're gonna win today Let's go So call your local congressman, we need another monument The Nats are rolling on the wind, we're let's go Nats By the early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's and F Let's go Nats We've got a game to play We're gonna win today Let's go Nats We're gonna score for score We're gonna win for sure You better tell your senator We're shredding the competitors We're set to send the pennant home for roll Ding, see. Let's go
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.